Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century and beyond. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host, who is absolutely the kind of man who believes in the little people, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I absolutely believe? I, I News for you, Andy. Wait, what? I am... What? I am leprechaun agnostic. <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't believe in leprechauns. It just means I'm on a path. I'm seeking. I'm on a path. I don't have answers to the questions that you have, but I don't, I don't know that we could categorize my belief as absolute. I don't know. I'm pretty fundamentalist when it comes to leprechauns. Oh, wow. Uh, What what movie are we doing today, Larry? We are doing Darby (laughs) O'Gill and the Little People from 1959, which has a subtitle, what Larry's teachers put on when they had to grade tests and papers. That I've seen. You were a I saw kid, this movie yeah. every year in elementary school. Every single year, um, mm. I, I, I am. Da- I doubt it's in the curriculum, but uh, I'm not upset that I saw it every year, Andy. I and and this was your first viewing of it, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I saw it when I was, but I was probably really little. Like maybe it's like a double feature at the drive-in movies or something. But uh, I was. Gosh, I I was real. I was really small because there were certain things I remembered, but not much, honestly. So I'm excited. Good, good, good. I'm glad you're excited. Dig in today. Yeah, let's dig into some key facts. So I did a lot of digging on this. I just um, our listeners don't know this, but you know this that I came back from Ireland back in June, and I did a lot of digging over there in terms of story and art and stuff. So this is this is pretty cool uh, for me. So in 1926, uh, a group of volunteer Irish scholars founded the Folklore of Ireland Society. And the society was concerned that the rich oral storytelling tradition of Ireland was waning somewhat. And they wanted to publish the stories that they had heard growing up in periodical form. And this magazine that they, they put together grew very popular And the public wanted to make it a little more official than just a bunch of guys deciding what should go in a magazine. So in 1935, the Irish Folklore Commission was founded by the Irish government. And its work continues today, actually, as part of the National Folklore Collection at University College in Dublin. That's awesome. Yeah. So some of those stories were published as uh, Darby O'Gill and the Good People and the Ashes of Old Wishes and other Darby O'Gill tales first in McClure's magazine in 1902, and then in book form in 1903 by Hermione Templeton Cavanaugh. So uh, Darby O'Gill had been part of the oral tradition as well as this, you know, this book that came out in 1903. So, uh, so in 1947, fast forward several years, Walt Disney went to visit with the Irish folklore commission. And in 1950, he announced he was going to make a picture based on a script by Lawrence Watkin about Ireland and leprechauns entitled Three Wishes. Uh, and of course, at that time, he learned, I think, that the that Templeton Cavanaugh stories were rooted again in that world tradition. In its 1958 co- Hollywood dossier column, so fast forward 12 years, the New York Times chided Walt Disney for calling this new idea fresh and novel because of his because of his visit in 1956. So he's got a new movie coming out. They're really going, wait a minute, you've had this on the back burner for a long time. 
What? Uh, and he had. He'd been he'd been but, working on this idea criticism. for criticism. How dare you spend time working on this idea to get it right? I want it tomorrow, Walt Disney. <laughs> right. I want it now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the the truth is, I mean, it takes a while to make these kinds of things, and uh, especially and then, while it, especially then, it was a new medium. Yeah, and, Jeez. Exactly. So as Leonard Malton claimed, the waiting really pays off for this movie because the technology to make the leprechaun seamless with the humans had been invented and now existed. So this is more than just a good movie. Darby O'Gill did things for filmmaking that just hadn't been done. And it paves the way for Mary Poppins and other future pictures where there's a lot of interesting special effects. And as with Mary Poppins, the effects pay, they stay, they are still good. They still work. I was sitting there with my youngest and he's going, this is, he's like, I know they're doing stuff with forced perspective here. He's like, but it's great. Great. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Or when the leprechauns climb the uh, bedstead or whatever. I mean, when King Bright, it's genius. It's awesome. Fantastic. So, Okay, so early 1958, Walt Disney takes this very much publicized casting trip to Ireland. And I, it is in every newspaper in America. It talks about the flight that he's going to take uh, over the polar cap. It talks about everything. And Disney tells reporters that he is confident that he's going to find a Darby and that also leprechauns may apply. What? One Dublin newspaper reported, and I, this is a quote, now, every Irishman knows that the Emerald Isles are full of fairies known as the little people, but Disney wasn't having much success at the outset. These leprechauns are mostly shoemakers with crocks of gold at the end of their rainbows, but they are very elusive creatures and their king keeps well away from humans, especially foreign strangers. Ireland, already worried about the mounting immigration of humans, is more than anxious about lest the little people be lured away too. But movie maker Disney said he was determined to find a king for the new film he intends to produce in Hollywood. What? This is news? This isn't a newspaper. Yes. Yes, correct. Uh, Okay, so then a London reporter from the Daily Mirror proclaimed, what a blarneying man that Walt Disney is. I reeled out of the Dorchester Hotel last night after talking to him for half an hour about leprechauns. And this is direct quote from Walt Disney. I want them just 21 inches high, said Walt earnestly. If they're any bigger, they're out. I'm going to Ireland to look for them. I want 300 altogether. Trouble is, I'm told you can only catch them one at a time. And then there's the problem of getting them through customs. I Okay, journalists. Let's have a conversation about what your job actually is. I mean, as a publicity thing. I mean, he's 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 reporting on what Disney tells him. No. So, I, yeah. I mean, I, this is an interview. I, I don't believe that conversation. I, I don't believe that conversation happened, Andy. Uh, okay. I, I, <laughs> I am dubious. I am dubious that Walt found the leprechaun 22 inches high and said, thank you, I can do better, keep walking. I don't, I don't, I don't think that happened. 
Well, on this flight, this polar flight uh, to Ireland from Los Angeles, director Robert Stevenson accompanies Disney. Now, you might remember from previous Once Upon a Disney episodes, Robert Stevenson has directed a lot of Disney movies, but this is his first. Uh, He directed Old Yeller, The Absent-Minded Professor, That Darn Cat, The Love Bug, and of course, Mary Poppins. Uh, Stevenson and Disney agreed that veteran Irish character actor Albert Sharp, who was a member of the National Theater of Ireland called the Abbey Theater, uh, who had he had starred in Brigadoon and Royal Wedding, and he was also on Broadway as the lead in Finian's Rainbow. And they decided, yep, he's he's our guy. Okay, I mean, he's great in this. I thought he's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that I think I do believe that they actually went to recruit actors. I'm fine. Yes, that part I'll buy. That part I'll buy. <laughs> Okay. All right, so we're going to do a new section, Andy, called Mythology Corner. Uh, with oh, okay, where where I, <laughs> I mean, look, you know, I spent a lot of time playing Dungeons and Dragons, so I know my stuff, and I'm going to talk a little bit about leprechauns because I think there's some context here that I think is useful. So, okay, according to my research. Uh, and by research, I'm just remembering the stuff that I've learned. I didn't actually go back to the books, but that still counts as research. A, a belief in leprechauns existed prior to uh, the advent of Christianity in Ireland. Uh, and so there right. was some work that was done to reconcile the, you know, the, the beliefs coming in about Christianity and the beliefs about leprechauns, which the native populace was not willing to give up. And, and and that plays a role in this movie. So the story essentially goes, in the great war between the angels and the demons when God and the devil were fighting one another, there were just a handful of angels that like were essentially angel Switzerland. Like, look, we're not getting involved in this thing. You guys, <laughs> you guys fight this out and we'll, we're just going to sit in the corner. So, the war ends. Obviously, uh, the devil and all of all of the demons are cast down to hell. Uh, and when these neutral angels tr- try to go back to heaven, they find they can't go back to heaven. They aren't condemned to hell because they didn't rebel against God, but they aren't allowed back in heaven because they didn't support God. And those angels sort of become all of the spirits, uh, um, um, including obviously leprechauns. Now there are a number of stories about this and a lot of a lot of stories about priests fighting leprechauns or having conversations with leprechauns which underpins a lot of what Darby is doing when he talks about I was fighting the forces of darkness or he threatens to get a priest to deal with the leprechaun. Uh, I will share one quick little story. Uh, there's a story about a leprechaun who who tried to find a priest. And when he found a priest, uh, he, he said to the, he asked the priest a question and he said, how can I get back into heaven? And the priest said, mm. there is no path for you to get back into heaven. And the leprechaun got so upset and so angry that he exploded on the spot. Uh, so, so, okay. but I do, I do think this aspect of leprechaun mythology informs our viewing of the movie, uh, where we do have this priest, oh, for sure. this priest character who is sort of not not that he's ever sees the leprechauns, but is constantly like 
you shouldn't be talking to them. You shouldn't be talking about them. Uh, and, right. and that Darby can sort of use as a threat when, when, uh, when he's dealing with King Brian. So there is some mythological context for you. All right. Good stuff. Shall we, shall we get into the movie? We should. So, uh, Whenever we talk about a movie, we talk about the Manishtana, which is why does the movie begin in the in the moments that it begins? Uh, Darby has been having conflicts, it seems, uh, with the leprechauns for quite some time. This is not his first outing with them. Why, Andy, do we – first of all, where do we start? And then why do we start – where we start when this movie begins. What do you think? Well, we, I think it's super clever. Uh, we, we, we meet Katie who is Darby's daughter and Sheila, who's the widow um, and, and sort of a meddling widow uh, who comes to the house to borrow a pinch of tea and this and that mostly to gossip and figure out what's going on around town. And then we meet Lord Fitzpatrick and Michael and we learn what all four of them think about Darby, almost as sort of a pre-act. Yes. And it's a lot like the other Disney movies we've seen with antagonists coming first. Um, so that's kind of fun before we see the, the protagonist of the movie, or who I think is the protagonist of the movie. I mean, it's um, called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It's Darby. Right, I mean, right, right, for right, sure. right, right, right. So it, uh, but it, I mean, it, it's a good five minutes and 30 seconds. And then we have... You know, they say, oh, he's at the pub telling stories. And, of course, then we have Darby telling stories and being antagonized by Pony. And we hear one of Darby's stories about King Brian and the Three Wishes. So it's great exposition. It unfolds it. And we almost get a teaser by learning what other people think. And it makes us, when we meet Darby, we want to stick with him and do a deeper dive. And I think you're right. Starting with specifically... Katie and and the widow Sheila uh, gives us two contrasting views of who Darby is specifically. Katie clearly dotes on her father and absolutely mm-hmm. loves him. And Sheila is far more cynical and thinks of him more of a scoundrel than as than as an actual man. And we're left to navigate when we meet him. Where does he actually fall in between this between the storytelling? And this movie kind right. of is about storytelling to a degree it's inspired by storytelling yeah and and i and i think there's a lot of this which is if you're someone who's heard the stories of darby o'gill you may have heard him characterized this way or that way uh and all of those stories can can possibly be true it's just about who's telling those stories right fair that's fair I, i i i dig that I, I, that's right up. I thought it was like I said, it was really clever because it, we get to get, we get into his world before we meet him and we get to see all the opinions about him before we actually encounter him for ourselves. The other thing that's neat here is because we're hearing this story of the first meeting between Darby and King Brian, when we're looking towards an inciting incident in most movies, it would be Darby going, leprechauns are real. I've been telling these stories and now I've finally met one. But he's mm-hmm. met one before. Uh, right. Maybe multiple times. So mm-hmm. so we get through so we get through the exposition. What would you actually say 
is the inciting incident of this movie? Well, there are two places sure. that I, I've wondered about. The first is when Lord Fitzpatrick moves Darby out of the house. Okay. Uh, and basically says, look, I'm bringing Michael in. You're being displaced. You retired on me, what, five years ago? You just didn't tell me, right? And so it's clear that that Darby's not doing as much work as he used to be doing. Um, and... Lord Fitzpatrick likes him, but he's not, and he's not unkind to him, but he needs, you know, he needs a change of pace. Uh, And then uh, the second place that I see is where Darby falls into the well, where the horse kicks him into the well and puts him back in contact with the uh, leprechauns um, that he, and King Brian once again in his world. And so, <clears throat> yeah. I think they're both viable inciting incidents. However, I think there's like a couple of ways that we could look at it. And the first one is the thing that disrupts the world is the Lord bringing Michael to take Darby's place. Prior to mm-hmm. that, Darby was having his misadventures, going down to the tavern and telling stories. Uh, but the world was the way that it was. And that that is the disruption. And because that disruption happens, the second disruption, which is the king of the leprechaun says, I'm going to take you to the land of the fairies, which he doesn't, which he doesn't do, I think, to be mean to Darby. Darby doesn't want it. But Brian is thinking, well, you know, the world of men just said they're done with you. So I'll take you. But one causes the other. So you could you could make the argument that the inciting incident is him being replaced and that the other event follows it. But I might argue that the inciting incident happens after all of that because I'm not saying I'm arguing it. I'm saying I might argue it. I'm using Darby O'Gill language. (laughs) I might argue that this movie doesn't actually start until Darby gets his hands on the King of the Leprechaun and, and is owed three wishes. That the premise of, of this movie actually is uh, what happens. What, so, so these two events are things that happened to Darby. He was mm-hmm. fired. He was kidnapped and escaped. But the, that the inciting incident might be the thing that Darby does, which is he captures mm-hmm. King Brian and is now owed three wishes. And that that's as much fun as we've had getting there the whole way, that maybe that's yeah. really where the movie starts. It's hard to know. Isn't I think it? it is. I mean, it's 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 tricky. But the the neat thing is we have two things happening. We have Michael moving in. We have Katie needing someone, or the movie thinks she needs someone. She doesn't really think she does um, to marry. Yeah. Right? She loves staying in that house. We've got there are all these now. We've got all this kind of we've got this mobile and Michael's presence kind of bounces everybody around a little bit, which is why I think I lean toward that being the inciting incident. Oh, I'm I'm not um, really arguing with you. I'm just I'm just okay. making the other argument on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, but but the, the movie. You're right. The movie really does get rolling uh, at that point. For and sure. let's keep in mind, this is another one of those movies where Walt has his has like one eye on the movie and another eye on this will make a great couple of episodes of the wonderful world of Disney. 
Um, right, so, so right. he's going to want to, he's, he's thinking towards commercial breaks. He's thinking what, how many pieces do I want to break this up into where, where am I going to show mm-hmm. a clip to promote it? Uh, so, so there is sort of a semi episodic, uh, nature to the way in which events on, yeah. you could see a TV yeah. series that is Darby O'Gill where we're getting like 10 minutes of every episode put together into a movie. That's not what happened oh, sure. here, but you could see it. No. Sure. All right. So if that's the inciting acts, uh, inciting incident, we move on through the rising action to the climax and a series of things happen, but we don't need to go into huge detail because, because we can summarize it a bit on this one thread. We've got Darby with King Brian, where Darby is going to try to make the most out of the three wishes that he's been given. Uh, but as it's happening, King Brian is sort of tricking him a little bit. Uh, there's some back and forth where, where where Darby is trying to show off King Brian to the town, but he really can't convince anybody that King – they're sort of convinced, but there's no proof. Mm-hmm. It's, some of them are willing to take the leap of faith that he's caught the King of the Leprechauns, and others of them are dismissive. Mm. On the other hand, we have this thread about Katie and Michael who are – falling in love, but Michael is keeping a secret from her because Darby doesn't want her to know that he's lost his job and is being forced into retirement. Right, right. Uh, And there's also this antagonist, Pony, who not only wants Darby and Michael's job, he also wants Katie. And all all of these ingredients are, are, are there and they're pleasant to watch. But I don't. I don't think we want to necessarily boil them down into events. What would you say the climax of this movie is? Well, I think when Darby is confronted with his third wish, he also has his daughter dying. Right. And Darby. Darby's been pretty. I mean, he starts the movie in kind of a selfish way, right? He's been sort of. He's been taking from. I mean, Lord Fitzpatrick. Who can afford it? I mean, he's not getting really jilted, but he, but he's, you know, he's not really nose to the grindstone. He's kind of, he lets Katie take care of him. But I think when Katie, uh, you know, goes out and hurts herself, you know, is hurt and is, is bedridden and then Darby makes his, his third wish, I think that's where the climax starts to go into the, what is it, the death what, what do they call that? The death, the death carriage. Uh, carriage. Yeah, the death carriage. And when that comes for him, which is pretty shocking, didn't expect that really. Um, and the only foreshadowing we have is watching his horse have an issue there. Um, well, it, it's interesting but, what happens with his horse because his horse gets haunted at one point and at another right, point right. is replaced by a puka, which is an animal, right, right. animal spirit, a mischievous animal spirit. Uh, right. So this is kind of the the principle of three on that. But then but then I think when Darby finally when he makes his fourth wish uh, and the leprechaun says, ha, huh, you made your fourth wish. I have to kick you out now. This 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 wish no longer works. So the climax um, really is at the moment of life and death where Darby right. has taken his daughter's place in the death carriage and is being hauled off to mm-hmm. the afterlife. That is the moment of highest tension. Because yeah. we are led, Darby has used up his wishes, 
Um, and how is he ever going to get out of this one? I would agree right. that that's the climax. That that's that's the that's the moment of decision. That's the moment where the story might go to a tragic ending. It feels very dark in that mm-hmm. in that carriage. And I, I well, yeah, the forces of good and evil, and life and death, and big cosmic things are happening. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and then once once he is sort of tricked out of the carriage. But when I say tricked out, um, I mean. He's he's not the worst for it. He's 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 fine. Uh, we get some falling action, which is uh, Michael. Katie is fine. Uh, Katie and Michael are in love, and they're going to be married. Pony is properly shamed and humiliated in front of the town. I mean, I mean, Michael beats him up, um, and which which could be a climax, right? I mean, it's kind of a it's a weird place for falling action. It. Could be a climax, except for two things. And the first is, Michael is not our protagonist of this story. Right. Um, Right. And the question has never been, who will win in a fight between Michael and Pony? Right? But it is almost a climax of the B story. But... Maybe. Maybe, but we're looking at the clock. It's got... It's got 90 seconds left in the movie. Uh, and, right. and honestly, we've got a song to sing. Or- Darby, exactly. Darby just came back from the land of the dead. Who's going to win the tavern brawl does not feel right. Right. You know, does not, you're, you're it doesn't right. feel right. tense. I could, I could yeah. see a version of this movie where that is the climax, but, mm-hmm. but that's not this movie. Uh, yeah. And, and we get a happily ever after. Uh, for for mm-hmm. Darby and and Katie and Michael and and even the sense that King Brian is happy for them, uh, and and it's a really sweet ending, and it's a yeah, fun yeah. movie. Yeah, they're there on the courtship wagon, right? I mean, it really is a fun movie, and I think the spectacle of the movie is something that definitely, like like your son said, definitely holds up. Yeah, agreed. Yep. It's great. I watched it twice and got better the second time. So. Yeah, fair enough. So that is plot. I wanted to talk a little bit today. We don't talk about dialogue that much, but this movie has great dialogue. Um, It's delivered well. I mean, there are a lot of great one-liners. My favorite is, uh, you know, when you sup with the devil, you need a long spoon. Um, It's just, it's filled with them. And and it occurred to me that these bits of dialogue get to the heart of the story. They drive the plot, but they're not on the nose. Right. So, and, and, and I made a note that just said, you know, having your character speak in metaphor isn't necessarily a bad thing. Well, so the question, the question is like, I'm looking at that sentence. When you sup with the devil, you need a long spoon. And I get mm-hmm. the gist of it. But if you put me on the spot, if I've just heard it and you're asking me, what does that actually mean? I don't know, but it evokes a certain kind of feeling, right? The way, the way right. that widow Sheila says it and the, and, and the con and the context and the tone of voice about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very, it's very much, we know she's saying something bad about bad and dismissive about Darby's mm-hmm. character, even if we can't dissect it. And this kind of dialogue is sometimes scary to write 
in a screenplay mm-hmm. because you, without the performance of it, you have to wonder if the person who's reading your script is going to know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, it, it is a risk. But I think this this particular, and I think, again, Robert Stevenson does such a great job with this movie. And I think the Irish actors do a great job as well, because these are probably things that, these are probably little metaphors that get said periodically. Feels authentic. I mean, I, yeah, I, it couldn't, feels very authentic. I couldn't speak to whether it is authentic or not, but it certainly feels like, it right. feels truthful and it feels like everybody knows what they're talking about. Even if we in the audience don't exactly know it, we don't need to know it. We're getting the mm-hmm. gist of it. And I think yeah. I think that's a neat little trick to take away from a movie. That, I don't know. I don't know. I like it. Yeah, it, I, is an, it is a neat trick. It made me think of, I mean, in my own writing, it made me think of something I wanted to try. So I wouldn't get yeah, rid of it from this movie, and I wouldn't want to ruin it by having the characters explain these sentences after they say them. Right. Which, and what I mean by that is... That I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want... And, and no. the truth of the matter is, it's a lesson in trusting your audience to get it with dialogue. Yes. Uh, Correct. And, and too often we don't. But we maybe we should more. Yeah, yeah. I know when you and I were talking pre-production, you mentioned uh, the three wishes here that that those three wishes were better than the wishes that Aladdin had. I feel like the whole and I wondered if you could talk about that. Look, I love Aladdin. I don't, I I'm mm-hmm. not an Aladdin hater, but the place where Aladdin really fails to deliver for me is the idea about wishes. Uh, and and there's a whole there's a whole lot of stuff about that that I could get into. When Genie turns, I mean, basically all Genie really does for Aladdin is he, a change of wardrobe. Uh, like, mm-hmm. is he really a prince? Does he have a country? Did a country suddenly come into existence with a bunch of people who serve him? I don't know. Movie's not really interested in exploring as much as it brings up the rules of wishes. It's not really mm-hmm. it's not really intellectually interested in the idea of wishes. Yeah. This movie re- takes the characters and it makes them more genre savvy. These are people who have grown yeah. up with the legend of if you catch a leprechaun, he'll give you three wishes. And you could make an argument that Darby wastes his wishes. He wastes them the first time he gets them in the backstory and he, he screws them up in the second time. But the thing about Darby is, I don't know that any anyone has ever actually made the three wishes work for them prior to him. He is armed with the knowledge of how wishes generally work and is intelligently trying, he's taking his time and trying to figure it out. So his very first wish is, listen, I don't want to have to make all these wishes in a rush. My first wish is... Give me time to figure out what my other two wishes are. Don't try to sneak off or run away or any of that. My first wish, and and he's like, look, my first wish is going to be, give me the time to figure out my other two wishes. There's a bit in the tavern where a bunch of people make suggestions, and we might be in the audience going, Darby, wish for money. Darby, wish for wish for something for Katie. Uh, right, right, right. He thinks of that. He he talks about the reason I'm not wishing for money 
is he's heard all of these stories about people who wished for the crock of gold and it always turns out badly for them. Mm-hmm. He asks mm-hmm. Katie what she wants him to wish for. And he, she says, don't you wish anything for me? I don't want anything. Uh, he, he, she would disapprove of him making a wish in that way. And and we mm-hmm. might be like, wish for health. Someone someone in the tavern says, wish for health. Someone else says, wish wish for wisdom. And he, as, as they're making these suggestions to him, he's saying, and this is what will happen if I wish for this. And this is what will happen if I'll wish for this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's like, you have to be yeah. very careful about it. And, and I have to tell you, I love that conversation. <laughs> it's a good one. I am tired one of movies. Sure. I can watch a movie where someone learns the rules of time travel. I can watch Back to the Future because Marty shouldn't know the rules of time travel. And going right, back. but at a certain point, so here's an. I'm going to forget about time travel. I can't watch zombie movies anymore because one of the things oh. I've learned about in zombie movies is very often they take place in not our world. It's a world in which no one's ever seen a zombie movie. And at mm. this point, if a zombie <laughs> outbreak were to happen, Andy, I mean, you we know what to do. I mean, I have, I have, I have things. I mean, I. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be sitting around there when someone's knocking at the door and flesh is decomposing off of them going, but that's Uncle Timmy. I've got to let him in. Uncle, like, like, I, like, I <laughs> right, know the right. rules. He's a different, he's a different person. This is now, a movie. Right? He's not this is, who he used to be. That's this fine. is a movie that says, this is not your first go around with the idea of three wishes. Really right. think about it. Really think about Good it. Stuff. And I, I Good dig stuff. it. I dig it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, um, so let's d- dive into characters a little bit. We have uh, Darby O'Gill, Al- Albert Sharp, as we mentioned before. Uh, what do we think of Darby? I love him. Um, I do too. I love him because he is a... Ca- so what's great about Darby is he's really two people in one. He is mm-hmm. a loving, kind, devoted father. Like, if you can't get on board with anything else about him, the fact that Katie is his whole world is is enough to get you on board. Oh, sure. But he's For sure. also a trickster. And that's kind of what... Yeah. That's kind of what makes his interactions with King Brian so much fun. Is normally mm-hmm. in the story of a trickster, the only trickster is the fairy, and and the human is sort of the straight man. But in right. this movie, we get a battle between two tricksters. That's great. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. and yeah, no, please you. Yeah, and that and you're right. And and then sometimes, you know, King Brian wins and sometimes he wins. But when things really matter, they're both on each other's sides. And I like that. I do too. But but there's a recognition that they're peers. Um mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean yeah. that that's that's pretty great also. Uh, but but so you're rooting for him. He's the underdog for sure because he has no powers in this battle. Right. All he has right. is his wits. And yet mm-hmm. he wins as much as he loses. That's pretty great. That's, that's pretty great. Uh, and Agree. And that's why he's the protagonist of the story. I wouldn't want to see a movie about any of these other characters meeting King Brian. 
I only want to see the movie about Darby doing it. Yeah. Uh, Katie O'Gill, Janet Munro, and she's going to go on to be in Third Man on the Mountain and Swiss Family Robinson and do some other uh, Disney television stuff. Uh, British actress, Irish heritage. I mean, she has what do we think? the most beautiful smile <laughs> in 1959. She is just stunning. I don't know stunning. what it is about these classic movies, but but when they decide that someone is the most beautiful woman in the world, they just are. And she just yeah. is. You you can tell why why Michael and and Pony and everyone in town, there's another guy who wants to dance with her. They're all Sean. so charmed. <laughs> They're all so charmed by her. And, yeah. and it's that smile. She's got expressive eyes, too. Her smile is she not does. just her mouth. They're, it almost I can almost see the twinkle in them. Right, right, right. Also for 1959, really strong female character, I thought. I was going to say the same thing. I think that uh, Katie and Widow Sheila are both two great characters. Yes. uh, With a lot of of gravitas between the two of them. Um, So, yeah, Katie, Katie loves her dad and she fights for him and she doesn't necessarily need a dude. And she's okay with that. And she knows the truth about her father. You know, she knows. But don't you dare say it in front of her. (laughs) Right, exactly. Because she is his fiercest defender. I I mean, they are a great great pairing. I enjoy the two of them together in their scenes. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's fantastic. She really is. Um, Michael McBride, Sean Connery. Of course, this is his pre-James Bond. He's Scottish, but he's also Irish on his father's side. Okay. Um, also, at this point, this is a little little trivia nugget, uh, Sean Connery. He had signed a contract with 20th Century Fox in 1956. And <clears throat> the tabloids say he's dating Lana Turner and he's dating Glennis Johns when he's loaned out for Darby O'Gill. Um, although the Hollywood columnists suggest, and probably because of the Disney uh, PR people, that he's coming over, but he's already in Hollywood at this point. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I, I do not um, understand how entertainment news worked back then, but I barely understand how entertainment news works now. <laughs> so, so right, I'll right, just right, shrug right, my right. shoulders on that. Just, Oh, someone said something. Let's print it as if it's true. Okay. Well, he is definitely easy on the eyes too. So I will take your word for that. Uh, that's yeah, that's fine. But I will I will say th- <laughs> I find the character of Michael McBride a more attractive character than James Bond is. Uh, oh sure, because the mm-hmm. the one thing you never really see from James Bond is what James Bond actually in love with the woman that he's pursuing. But here, and, and I, also I don't think James Bond is in love with any of the women he's pursuing. No. Um, but in I think it's just convenient. In this movie, we get to see what Sean Connery looks like in love. And I think that mm-hmm. does make him a more attractive. I think seeing people in love makes them more attractive. I just I think it's transformative, mm-hmm. the power of love. They have great chemistry. They have ridiculous chemistry. Is, it's so good. Is it actually and, and I my only criti- my only criticism of his character, and it's it's not his fault and it's not his performance at all. But that he needs to do more. 
And I don't see him. He's not, he's a little on the passive side. That's literally my only criticism of this entire picture. Except if he did more, that would come at the expense of Katie doing less. Oh, that's true. Because one of the things we like about Katie is how much power she has in that relationship with him. Like, Mm -hmm, like he knows mm -hmm. she's attracted to him, but whether, whether he's going to get that kiss or not, she has to make the decision. I love that bit where she's getting ready to be kissed by him and he walks away and she's like, Nope, don't get away that easily. She pursues him. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's, there's all sorts. Uh, and he comes off as sheepish, but he knows and I mean, like consent seems to be an important thing for him. So see like consent in 1959 can absolutely happen. I love my favorite <laughs> romances are the romances where we see that glimmer of consent happen between two characters mm-hmm. and they both want the kiss. I, I'm not, yep. I'm not a big fan yep. of the storm into the room and suddenly kiss someone. I know a lot of people love it. I love it when you see it in their eyes. Are we going to kiss now? Cause I really want to kiss now. I love that. In this yeah, movie, it's good. they really want to kiss. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that. And he, and he falls for her and it's, it's nice. And he also makes this nice move from, you know, leprechaun agnostic skeptic to leprechaun believer. So that's, that's, I mean, as well. I don't know that he fully gets there either, Andy, but he's willing to say he does. And that is he's willing to play along. That that is as much um, like him, him showing showing that he's giving something to Katie, which is he's going to buy into the if Darby says it, then then it's the truth. I'm going to believe it because that's part of taking Darby into your family is standing up for him. Yeah, that's right. King Brian, Jimmy O'Day, uh, very well known in Ireland for his work with um, his sidekick, Harry O'Donovan. And they created the, his most famous character, Mrs. Biddy Mulligan. So he performed that in vaude, like a vaudeville circuit. And I have a lot of questions, but I guess that's probably for another time. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean... This, as we, well, we can talk about that probably some other time, but yes, uh, great guy. But I, I think he does a very, a great job of playing a non-human character and really, oh, yeah. really capturing the idea that whatever King Brian's morality is, it's not a human morality. It's not, it, mm-hmm. it's not on the path of good or evil. Uh, it's, it's what, what he sees as virtues is trick. Being a trickster, being cunning, uh, and being funny, being funny, and playing the yeah, game and yeah. being respected. You'll notice that throughout yeah. all of this, even when Darby has the upper hand for the most part, uh, Darby is fairly respectful. Always calls him Your Majesty, uh, even when he's right. threatening to feed him to a cat, uh, because they they know the rules of the game that they're playing, right? And they've gotta right. they've gotta play by those rules. Uh, He's he's fun. Uh, and as much as he wants to win, I always believe that he's rooting for Darby in this game between I them. I think so, too. OK, I think he wants Darby to beat him because he sees Darby as an equal, whereas other humans probably not so much. I mean, the, the fun part about being a, a fairy is getting to play with the humans. So if a mm-hmm. leprechaun never wanted to be challenged, they could be invisible and never run across a human being. They would never find them. But Brian's found right. one that he's come back to 
again and again because like he respects him and he wants to play the game and there's no one playing this this catch a leprechaun game on the level that darby is playing darby's the best right there ever was right i also like how king brian is charitable towards darby at the end mm-hmm. so there are three wishes sure. king brian could could have a story about him in which a human made three wishes and the last wishes wish was used for him to die but mm-hmm. but king brian's like but I can, I bet I can trick him out of it. I get, I bet I can yeah. get him out of it. And he plays another game with him, and it is entirely. And as much as Darby, as much as King Brian pretends at the last, you made a fourth wish, you lose them all, and and um, and Darby is thrown from the carriage. He's actually, mm-hmm. he's actually doing good for Darby, and he knows that too. He's not allowed to just help Darby. But he's allowed to and, trick and Darby. All of what we're talking about, Larry, all of it is subtext. It's not like yes. I'm going to trick you. Know it's not that uh, that on the nose stuff. It's just there. It's very playful, and you see it all as subtext. And it, this is a masterful script. I agree for sure. They even set up the idea of the fourth wish early, and they make mm-hmm. sure that we know about it. Uh, yeah, and, twice and when even. and when Darby makes that fourth wish, that's not Darby being smart. That's Darby forgetting that the rule, not even maybe not even knowing that the rules about wishes still apply to him because technically he's mm-hmm. dead. Um, right. But but when that happened, you know, both me and my son looked at each other and were like, "That was pretty great." Uh, mm-hmm. He he stood up and he said, "That was set up from the beginning. That's so mm-hmm. smart." It's such a great payoff. Oh, I such agree. a great payoff. Pony Sagru, Kieran Moore, another popular Irish actor who is also from the Abbey Theater. So uh, we have uh, several of these guys are all in the in that Abbey Theater, that National Theater in Ireland. Pony reminds me of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, and I wonder if Pony was the inspiration for that character. Uh, reminded me of him. Also reminded me of Brom Bones from uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, he yeah. is this thuggish town bully who is not the smartest guy in town, but certainly <laughs> the strongest and the most self, self-centered. self Oh, he's definitely mm-hmm. a proto-Gaston, if ever there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, thug... He's he's the biggest man in town, but he's also the smallest man in town. Uh, right. Small in mind. Nobody respects this guy. Small That's in morals, right. uh, small in character. Uh, Could totally go pick up the bell, but he, you know. But he won't because he won't get paid for it. And that's a difference right. between him and Darby, which is Darby, yeah. while, while he often tries to get away with doing as little work as possible, does feel like he owes his town something. And his soul is important to him, right? I don't think Pony considers his soul at all. I think Tony would. I um, think Pony would tell you there's no such thing as a soul, uh, right, which is which right. is what you know most amoral people tell themselves. <laughs> but again, beautifully acted, beautifully played. Um, I just you hate him. I right? love you. Hate him. You love to hate him. He's rough. He's rough with Katie. He talk about consent. He is he doesn't get her consent to take her home from the dance. And he bullies Sean, who wants to take Katie home, right? Or Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Sean should have had a chance with Katie. 
He should have. He should have. Uh, Widow Sheila, Estelle Winwood, uh, who started acting at the age of five in 1888 and continued her career until 1983. So she was 100 and still performing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 96 years. Yeah, she was still still going. So crazy. I thought she was was great in this movie, too. Um, She never retired. (laughs) Ever. Yeah, I think she's a great... I think she's like somebody, that meddling woman that you love to hate. But boy, she's, and she's a bit of a caricature, but it's a good one. Such a good one. I actually wondered at certain points in this, in this movie, if she's a witch. Darby says she's a witch. Yeah, Darby thinks she is and tells Katie, are you wearing your holy medals? Because um, she's, she's not, she's a force that you don't want to mess with. Which I think is funny because Darby's always talking about like the dark side, right, of the leprechauns, which he's not fearful of at all, but he's certainly fearful of this woman, which I find interesting. Uh, I don't think she's, I don't think she's a witch. I think she's a more complicated character uh, mm-hmm. than that. Uh, on the one hand, uh, she's advocating as best she can for her son, who mm-hmm. clearly she has not raised great uh, to be, a, to be a great man has, has filled him with all sorts of nonsense about how important and how amazing he is. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, she does need to rationalize what she's doing. There's that great conversation where she finds out that Darby and Michael have been keeping a secret from Katie. And the other mm-hmm. woman says, you know, Sheila, it would be a good deed to reveal the truth. And Sheila's like, well, I don't want to be a meddlesome woman. Are you sure it's a good deal? Like, like they're talking her into doing this thing. They know what they're about to do is terrible, but they need to have the conversation and rationalize it to make sure they're blameless Mm -hmm. when they do it. Uh, Right, right, right. It's surprisingly complicated. uh, And, and yeah, I, I guess the only thing I can say is I kind of want to come up and for her. In this movie, mm-hmm. a little bit, I want a trick played on her. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need to see her fought or, but, but uh, she deserves a little, a little bit of leprechaun shenanigans. I think. Yeah, I think that was yeah, kind of a missed moment as well. Um, and then the last two characters, Lord Fitzpatrick and Father Murphy in uh, Walter Fitzgerald and Dennis O'Day. Did you recognize them from something else that we? I have seen? didn't. I didn't. I see it on our outline, but and so I could have. <laughs> so yeah. So there's could have lied. There's Squire Tre- you could have lied. Uh, Squire Trelawney and uh, Doctor Livesey from Treasure Island. So they were contract players with Disney. So they got those. They got and they happened to be Irish. So if you were Irish and you were contracted with Disney. You were on Darby O'Gill and the Little People. <laughs> So, and I think they do a great job. I think Lord Fitzpatrick does a great job. I think Father Murphy, as you mentioned earlier, does a great job. And uh, and I think those two characters are really important to the story. I mean, he's the guy in charge of the entire town in terms of uh, the money, right? Mm-hmm. And then Father Murphy is in charge of the entire town in terms of the soul of it. And not just the soul, probably the money too, right? So these are sort of the... The they're not really magistrates. They're not really the government, but they sort of are the government, right? Just by by ha- so everybody sort of obeys them. In lesser hands, these characters would be unmemorable. But what I right. what I yes. appreciate about them is Lord Fitzpatrick is 
is retiring Darby. But when he does it, you know why he's doing it. We know Darby hasn't been doing the work. And therefore, Lord Fitzpatrick really does need to replace him. And that Lord Fitzpatrick is kind of trying to do it in a way in which Darby will get to keep his dignity. It's a rounded character who's not the villain of this story. And you could see a movie in which he was the villain of this story. Father, right, right. Father Murphy knows that Darby and, and the rest of the gang have been talking about leprechauns and all sorts of blasphemy. And he's not willing to, he's not going to make a big deal out of it. But when he needs that bell moved, he's willing to say, you know, there might be someone in this room who's been <laughs> consorting with the forces of darkness without considering their own soul. And if there's someone like that, that person should probably go and get that bell for us. And Darby knows, uh, yeah, he's talking about me, but it works. It reminds me of the conversations where you're like, wow, we'd love to have a Sunday school class if only there was someone to teach it. <laughs> so anyway, like not that I've ever had that No, happen. no, you just made that uh, up. No. You just made that up. I just made that up. Yeah, yeah. Whole clock. Completely. Well done. Whole clock. Well done. <laughs> All right. Pitch time. Larry. I am struggling to come up with a pitch for this movie. Well, like I, 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 I usually I can come up with something. This movie is so good. I don't, I don't really want a sequel to it. I don't know that I, but I thought my, my one pitch was a prequel. Like I would like to see some more leprechaun action. Well, I'll make a deal um, with you. I think you, that would Andy. be fun. I'll make a All deal right. with you. If okay. you don't, if you All don't right. want to really do pitch time, I'll play wish time with you, Andy. Oh, Andy, you get to make a wish and then I'll get to make a wish. And then maybe people okay. at home can tell us how well we did with our wishes. Does that, does that sound good? No fair wish. Okay. No fair wishing for More wishes. a million wishes. No, right? because also okay. this is a finite podcast and uh, <laughs> it's, it's um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really an agnostic as to whether these wishes would come true or not. But um, I think, um, gosh, I feel like you're the kind of person that has really thought this. Oh, I have. I have an amazing wish. (laughs) You want me to go first? Yeah, you should go first. Okay. For sure. (laughs) So here is my wish, listener, and it's a wish for all of us. I wish that food tasted as good as it was healthy for you. So that if you were to taste broccoli, it would taste like chocolate cake because broccoli is really good for you. But if you were to eat chocolate cake, it would taste terrible and you wouldn't want it anymore. And I think that is a wish that improves the quality of life for everyone. But also, Mm -hmm. I'm not asking for so much that like the leprechauns need to punish me for it. I think I think it's a relatively good wish. And you know what? If it blows up in my face, uh, I'm sorry. I tried. I tried. That's really, really good. That's a good one. I think my wish is that everyone is imbued with like they are infused and act out of kindness for their fellow man fellow fellow people that that around the world everybody thinks about how they would you know maybe that golden rule thing that everybody treats others the way they would like to be treated or that the people would like to be treated so just with kindness ah that's it andy 
then suddenly the masochist is treating everyone the way he wants to be treated. Right. Better right, right, make right, right. three so more wishes like, so the yeah. fourth one will nullify it. <laughs> well, just kindness then. How about that? Just kindness. Okay. Everybody's kind. Fair enough. To each other. Fair enough. <laughs> but with my wish, we well, get broccoli and it tastes like chocolate cake. So I win. I think, I think your wish is far better than mine. Amazing. Although kindness is pretty, I don't know, in short supply right now. So maybe, maybe mine's good okay. too. I, I think we have two what? really good wishes. Okay, excellent. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. Make a fourth wish. Lose them all!